0: As we see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail a clean entry this thing holding open it spits When it spit me I thought it was gonna spit me off my board comes out with the spit
1: spits him out comes out after the spit gets spat out of another good looking wave here spit 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 we're just spitballing right yeah,
0: I got (laughs)
1: Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. It is Spit, the Spit Podcast. Scott Bass and David Lee Scales with you here. And we're spitballing. We're talking all things surf, surf surf-related. And a few off-topic items as well. It is Monday. It is April 29th, the year of our Lord, 2019. Good morning,
2: David. One week before the boardroom show, 2019. Oh, my gosh. It's so exciting. We're really talking all things Bell's 2019 rip curl pro i would say i'm talking all things
1: boardroom (laughs) i know well dude i want to
2: get your mind off the boardroom i would imagine you're in the thick of it dude i'm just kidding
1: we don't need to talk boardroom but of
2: course we will no i don't
1: know it's weird like the boardroom What, what should we just get it out of the way it's coming up this weekend we're excited there is one thing that you may find interesting there's this really cool youtube clip of wayne lynch telling about the It's like the gnarliest shark story ever. Really? From Wayne Lynch. It's like nine minutes long. And I think, and I'm just throwing this out there at you right now. I think we should pull it up and play it. Right now? Yes. As part of the show. I think we're... In full volume. And just listen to Wayne Lynch tell the story. It's going to be way
2: better than me butchering it. Okay. So, cut, cut to Wayne... Or why Wayne Lynch, though? Why is Wayne important to this story? Well, Wayne's,
1: of course, the guy that we're honoring at the boardroom show. He's the Australian shaping and surfing legend. And we're honoring him. He's going to be out at the show. And um, and I just came across this. And interesting... Okay, so here's some little backstory. I was invited last night to the most fabulous dinner. And it was... Do you know who Walter Monk is? No. Walter Monk is the father of surf forecasting. Oh. He's like... He's got incredible, like, he he basically forecasted the greatest surf forecast ever for World War II, the D-Day invasion. He was the surf forecaster. He was the reason they had to wait a week. Holy cow. Because the waves were too big.
2: Holy cow. Yeah.
1: So he, he died this year in February. He was 101 years old. And um, I was invited to his house last night by his widow and by some other people that were sort of... We were discussing some ways that Walter's going to. Basically, we were discussing his paddle out. His paddle out's going to be at the Scripps Pier, October nineteenth on a Friday or a Saturday, October nineteenth. But anyway, I had this great meal, right? And, and of course, he's this incredible oceanographer, Walter Monk. He's the guy that discovered why waves propagate up to Southern California and break at Windansee Beach or whatever. You know what I mean? South swells. He was the guy that the first guy to pro, to understand the propagation of swells from the Southern Hemisphere all the way up to Alaska and a bunch of other things. I mean, I'm just the tip of the iceberg. This guy's incredible. I mean, he's like best friends with, he was best friends with the Dalai Lama and just like, it's insane, right? Like crazy. The guy's insane. Super cool. Super, um, just like this really, a real sense of humility and, um, a guy that woke up every morning and probably said to himself, what am I going to learn today? As opposed to, you know, he was, he had a lot of humility, you know, teachability, and, um, and like all scientists, he was just focused on the truth, you know. So anyway, point is, is that I was at this dinner and I told this Wayne Lynch story because they, guys were telling shark stories and I was like, well, I don't have one, but here's one that I listened to the other day from Wayne Lynch. And I did an okay job of recounting it, but of course I'm not going to be half as good as Wayne Lynch, so I feel like we should right now listen
2: to the Wayne Lynch story. Perfect. Can you pull it up? Cut to Wayne Lynch.
0: It was pretty big. It was a really big, uh, strong swell, about eight feet. It doesn't really hold much over about eight feet, but it's very thick when it gets that big and it holds it. It's, it's, it's a, you know, serious wave. And it was one of the better banks. The bank was truly on one side of the bay, so that right in the middle against the rocks on the other side was just all ripped. It looked like sunset. That was a good way to describe it, like Sunset Beach. There was virtually... No ways breaking, right to the shore break. It was that deep. And these, you know, really big big less coming through and I'd been out there for a couple of hours by myself. And um, anyway this guy paddles out and I just thought, oh yeah, I haven't seen this guy before, because even back then not many people surfed there. And um I didn't sort of make contact, you know. <laughs> You've got to let them know they're not absolutely welcome. <laughs> and, um, and he's ridden a few waves and I'm just surfing away. And, <clears throat> and then I'm, on, uh, I'm on, a, on this one particular wave and I've, I was just coming out of the barrel and I've looked up and here he is trying to take off. He didn't even realise I was on the wave. And he's just dropping down the face and as i come out of the, out of the barrel i sort of straightened out. and I've, I think I said something fairly explicit to him and gone around him and he doesn't see him and he's just freaked out and fallen off because he didn't realise I was there you know, it, was, it was you know genuine he wasn't just trying to hassle or anything and um, so I've just paddled out and I've looked in and seen him swimming and gone oh I got rid of him and i will surf for about 20 minutes and i you will know, come in and looked and, and I can't see him on the beach and I can't see him anywhere and I've looked over and he's in the rip right in the middle of the rip and I go, oh no, I've got to rescue him. And I've gone, oh, I'll catch a couple of my ways first. <laughs> he looks all right. And I've paddled out and caught a couple and come back and go, all right, yeah, I'll get him. And I've gone over and he's gone. And I've gone, oh shit. And I've gone, you know, I've actually really worried. I've gone, oh no, he looked pretty strong. And then I've looked around and I've him. he's out a lot further than I realised he'd be. He's out. You know, at least 200 yards, and I can barely even see. Him. I can just see his hand out of the water. I think he was trying to wave for help. So that's okay. So I paddled out and grabbed him, and I put him on the back of my board. I'm on a seven six um, red swallowtail, and he's facing me, and I'm facing him. I'm on the nose, facing him. I'm just talking because he's really tired. I I thought, gee, I've only just got you in time. And while he's talking to me, right behind him, about from, from me to you guys, a shark comes up really silently, just like this, just pokes its head up. And it's about that far out of the water, at least. And it just comes up with a really massive big eye, and it's just just looking at us. But it's right behind you, or just a bit to the side, but right behind um, John. And I'm just looking at it going, oh, no. And it's obviously a white pointer, because they're the only sharks I know that do that, or the only experience I've had. And it's a massive thing. It's huge, big, round. So, and it just slides really silently back down. And I've just gone, oh, we better start going in, John. I think, you know, we're getting a long way out. I didn't tell him anything. I didn't change my demeanour or anything. And I said, just paddle with me, but I know you're tired. Just paddle in sync. Just and just paddle. Don't don't put any energy into it unless you feel strong, because you know we got to get across to that over to the other side near the rocks, because um, the rip's running a lot stronger there. And I don't want to take you into the break because if we lose the board, you're going to be in trouble. So, and what I was actually thinking was, there's never been a recorded shark attack in seaweed. I don't know if that means the guy got swallowed whole, and <laughs> we just never hear about it, but. Over on that side at castles in those years, there was massive seaweed used to grow up and then float on the surface and run along, you know, really long, big, thick bull kelp. And um, so, you know, crossing the channel, you know, diagonally across to get out of it, but trying to aim in a bit. And while I'm doing that, every now and then I can see the shark, and it's down down about, I don't know, eight or nine feet down in the water and swimming super slow, just... Just barely moving, faster than us, and it's circling, obviously. And I, you know, five minutes later, I'd see it again. Just, I'm just looking down, just going, oh, "This is not good. It's really interested." And I figured it was interested in um, in John, not me, because he's tired, and you know. And I've put him at the back of the board <laughs> I figured, well, I'll save you, but I won't die for you. <laughs> You can, you, can, you can go to the back and I don't know why I thought the back was more dangerous but anyway <clears throat> um, actually it's not true because at the front I had the power to, power to uh, paddle the board and steer it better and um, we get over into the kelp finally and I haven't seen it for a little while so I figured that that, that meant that it just nicked off and we come into the kelp and then I've gone right down the edge of the rocks keeping as much as I can out of the rip and gotten right into the beach, and on the beach it's really deep, and the waves are just surging up a bank, it's really steep, so the waves are kind of doubling up and just going boom and running up the beach. It's quite, quite intense. And I, you know, I'm only about oh, 30 feet, 40 feet off the beach, something like that, not far, and I've looked around trying to time a, a surge as a, as a wave break, because it's, it's a real thump, it's going to nail us. And I look around, and the wave's got ledges in it, like a, like a triple, double-up shape. And the shark is coming down, down this wave on its side, and I can see it just so clearly. Its, it's eyes white, it means it's going to bite. Its mouth's just a bit open, not totally open, a bit open, just going like a rocket straight at us. And I've just lifted both my feet and grabbed the board and going, it's just, you know, going to hit us, and we're going to go flying, it's going to grab him, grab John, and, um, nothing happens, just doesn't happen, and I'm kind, now it's got me, really, I'm just going, what the hell is going on, that is really strange, so the next one's come, boom, we get washed up the beach, and, you know, and John shakes my hand, I, I give him a lecture, he shouldn't surf, he can't swim in, and who told him to come here? <laughs> Which isn't true. I didn't say that. But um, you know, so you know, I told him. I said, so, "John, you shouldn't do this. This is not. If you can't get in in that situation, you really shouldn't be surfing here. If I wasn't out there, you're, you're gone." And never told him about the shark. He just walked off and He looked that thankful and that depleted that I just went, "What's the point?" And um, I sat on the top of this really steep sand for a while just with my board and thought about it all and, and it was sort of surreal it didn't seem like it had happened and then I went ah stuff it and I just went back out and about an hour later five of my mates had been sitting up in the hill and I didn't know it. I was sitting up we had a little a secret little spot in the in the sand dunes where you could sit and no one knew you there and uh they've all paddled out and gone you got no idea what you should have seen what happened to you and you could have died, and on and on. I said, the shark? And they go, what, you saw it? I said, yeah, how could I not? And they go, and you went back out. And I said, well, didn't bite. And, and they told me that they watched the whole thing, and it's circling. And, when, it, and then it when I got into the seaweed and I got in close, it disappeared. They couldn't see it. And then suddenly it surfaced out about 300 yards or more, just came up to the surface and then just swam straight at the beach, straight at us from way out, just went down a little bit, wasn't breaking the water anymore, and they could watch it like a torpedo, super fast, and went right onto his feet and turned at right angles and swam out to sea at the same speed.
1: It's a pretty cool story, right? That is wild, dude. He tells it pretty good too,
2: right? He's I, yeah, but I want... I want um to understand why. Like, that's such a bizarre behavior from the shark. Yeah, I'm just thinking maybe they got...
1: They were just... The shark was too close. Like, the shark sonar sensed how shallow it got real quick because the beach was at a steep angle. So it was deep until it wasn't. And maybe, right... It was just, like, dumb luck that they got close enough to the shore that the shark sonar went, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in danger and I have to turn around and and get back. Really interesting. Yeah, it's a cool story, huh? That's the kind of character... We're going to get to encounter this weekend. Wayne Lynch. Good guy. Super, super classic.
2: I'm Aussie. I'm also always amazed by people's, um, not only comfort with sharks, guys like him, Greeno, they've had enough exposure to sharks in their natural environment that they understand their behavior actually better than a lot of scientists probably do. You hear Mark Healy talk about it too. Um, Just understanding like, oh, I saw the white of his eye. That means he's about to bite. Like little cues like that. It's crazy to think that you've had enough encounters to feel that comfortable. I would just always be shocked. Even if I had five encounters on the sixth, I would be equally shocked, I would think. I I agree with you. And I I sometimes
1: think that while there is certainly um, a better understanding if you're in their environment a lot and you get to be more comfortable with it, that's also can set you up for more dangerous situations. And I think back to this Crazy documentary that I know you saw about the freaky guy with the bears up in Alaska. Grizzly man. Grizzly man. I mean this guy was a guy who you would think, "Oh, you know, he he had named all these bears and he was friends with all these bears and sure enough one of the bears ate him." Yeah. And so these are wild creatures and as much as we think we might understand their motives, I don't I think we'd be foolish to think we really do.
2: That guy was clearly nuts. He was. I mean I feel like um, Wayne Lynch, Mark Healy, for sure. There's a calculated risk. Oh, for sure. No, no. They're not. I, they're I not daredevils or thrill seekers. Yeah. They're actually like mitigating all of the variables, all right. the risk, right. and then still choosing in because they know there's no risk. That guy was just crazy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Great documentary though. It is. Yeah. It's One that
1: needs to be revisited, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, Wayne Lynch on Eight Shapers are going to be shaping three different boards replicating Wayne Lynch's really cool boards too. I, I don't know if did I tell you, I, I unpacked them the other day. Oh no. my God. So they arrived at my scene and I unpacked them and you know, and I know I've unpacked a lot of surfboards in my day <laughs> and this, these three boards, I was instantly like, Oh my goodness. I, I think I want to
2: buy all three of these. Wow. Boards. Wayne. Did he ship them from Australia? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a big ordeal. Yeah. Um, funny thing is i mean i don't really think of wayne lynch as a shaper so much you know I, I think you're i think you're right i think a lot of people are like that yeah
1: i know i've i've seen i mean we all know him as a, this great
2: legendary surfer
1: yeah exactly but i mean he'd been making his own board since right
2: um, yeah and it's like i am aware of that detail but i can't assign a certain design to him
1: yeah the one the sort of the classic one is that double ender evolution board yeah. um that I think originally McTavish and Neil Purchase Sr. had made for him. And then, you know, Wayne's in Victoria pretty far off the beaten path in 1967. He just, like, starts making his own boards because there's no Mm -hmm. one else around.
2: Totally. Yeah. Um, Did you get your Arise mid-length yet? We were talking about it last show. You were going to go pick it up. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. You're more surprised about it than I am. (laughs) I had forgotten.
1: I I was like... Uh, (laughs) I'm pretty fascinated by it I have some clips I can show you on my phone right now if you want to see Surfline Rewind yes dude you love it (laughs) dude so embarrassing when you paddle up to somebody you're like hey what time is it and they're like, why, you got to go to work? I'm like, no, I've got to go to Surfline Rewind and see that last turn I did. <laughs> show me later. I don't want to interrupt show you,
2: the show. I'm showing you right now. <laughs> um, well, while you while you pull that up, we, yes. we actually owe a thanks to um, Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, firstly and foremostly, because they are our home studio, which is where we're sitting right now in the library. shack s-h-a-c-c and then also of course neat essentials has kept us dialed in with wetsuits throughout the course of the year and by the way outerwear if you're ever going up to the mountains and then of course spyoptic.com use promo code podcast to directly support this show i'm wearing my spot my neat essentials jacket today it was raining up in north orange county so
1: and huntington beach man Yep. (laughs) You call it North Orange (laughs) County now? (laughs) So I was talking about. I was talking about Walter Monk, right? He's got this insane house that Scripps Institute gave him a long time ago in the 50s or whatever. It's overlooking blacks. He's got his own private walkway down to the beach. Crazy. Check out his front yard. What? They gave him the house and the land all around it. Crazy. It goes down. There's a private path down to blacks. Wow. And uh, he's got a his own Shakespearean theater in his front yard. Oh, my gosh. Where, he, where they put on plays and stuff.
2: That is insane. Isn't it cool? So cool. It's, it's a little, little terraced amphitheater. Yeah. That's all seating? Yeah. Amazing, dude. Yeah, yeah. So, you're going to show me your clip. I am. You're going to you freak down. out. I'm stoked on by, my Arise Twin But by, by the way, the other thing, real quickly, while yeah. you're looking it up, um, I forgot to mention this last week. We were talking about Laurie Towner and his Instagram post and all that. Yeah. Um, Need Need Essentials actually put together um, a trip called and a video called Norderland. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I it's saw insane. Rob insane. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really insane. Free 40-minute um, surf video with Torn Martin and... Um, Lori Towner, and uh, it's beautiful. I mean, coming off the heels of Thank You, Mother, it's absolutely spectacular, cold water, frigid, um, full-length surf film. So we've got that on spitpodcast.com if you want free vid, beautiful surfing, um, beautiful landscape, all that sort of stuff.
1: Cool. Norderland.
2: Norderland.
1: Norderland. Here's
2: Here's this clip. You can see it. Yep, I'll push play. All right, average day at your local spot. Boom, banked one off the top. (laughs) Cutty.
1: You're not (laughs) impressed. I can tell you. I'll give you. Okay, whatever. No, what's important is to see how the board went off the top, right? Yep. Like, and also the bottom turn. Like, if you you kind of go in slow-mo, like the bottom. Oh, yeah, dude. The bottom turn's pretty turn. sick, and I mean, just that turn right there—that that. was like I was like, "Wow, this thing feels insane!" So I'm pretty excited about
2: it. Um, and that's keels. a pretty—that's a pretty average day. Very like, average,
1: yeah. Very average, two to three foot day, and, and like I said, I had keels. I'm running keels on it. It's much. It feels much bigger than your board. Like it, it—it's—it's it's got more of a nose. Like it's got a full nose, you know, like a full. What's the
2: length? I want to say it's seven two. Yeah, mine's six ten. I wonder if I have pictures of it. Um, that bottom turn though, you're right. That was like a fully, um, you're almost like parallel with the surface of the water.
1: Well, good. Off the tail, it did this incredible.
2: That's like it was what I was like. That's what I was telling you. I was kind of like,
1: I should just have this in a six-foot board. Like, what that's do what I was need? telling what do you. Do I, I? was like, can we just get rid of all this nose area? You know? <laughs> and I and I sent. That's what I sent to Ryan. I go, Ryan, it doesn't. It's lacking in forward drive. Like, it, like if I just stand on the tail, it doesn't get up and go down the line. You know, so I kind of got to go into the middle of the board to get it to go. But it's really soft up there. So Ryan and I are thinking, let's do like some. Let's make it a little faster, a little harder edge, a little edgier up there and flatter.
2: Should I bring mine by for Ryan to check? Yeah. Um, Because mine does have the drive, not all the way back on the tail, but remember I told you, I go like one third up from the tail is where I stand. And all you got to do is kind of engage the tail, like engage the channels and the fins and the thing drives like crazy. It's actually very, got a ton of drive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, I, I don't want to say mine doesn't have drive, but it doesn't have forward momentum unless yeah. I get into the middle of the board and the wave starts to, so again, if I stand yeah. on the tail, I'm. it's not like, I got to move forward for no. it to
2: kind of get up and yeah. go. Yeah, we're, there's something different between our two boards then, because mine definitely has that drive, almost like in a way that I haven't really even experienced before, like yeah. it just goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome though.
1: I was super psyched on that
2: on that responsiveness that kind of up and down yeah I, people can't see what you're doing with your hands so i was trying to explain
1: <laughs> I, know, I know when i was doing that i was like oh what does that
2: mean just the way it turns in the pocket was um, really cool though this also highlights something that's important talk to your shaper like work with your shaper refine a design like this is where you get the most out of your surf experience is by like ordering a board trying to achieve a certain sensation Feeling some of it, going back to the shaper, dialing it in even farther, like that's yeah. the fun of it. Yeah, you know, um, awesome, dude, psyched. Yeah, I am too. Is Ryan going to be at the boardroom?
1: Yeah, I'm sure he'll be lurking around. I cool. don't think he has a booth, but sweet. Hopefully, he'll
2: be there. Uh, before we get into the bells event, yeah. I also wanted to follow up on one thing. I went last Friday night, I believe it was, to the premiere, world premiere of And Two If by Sea. Yeah. The Hobgood documentary? Yeah. Did you go? No. Okay. Um, It's really good. Yeah. I love those guys. They also did a phenomenal job. I mean, the event itself was freaking world-class. dude. They did it at the theater box in the gas lamp downtown San Diego. It's a giant theater, like, full-on red carpet thing, like... Yeah, a really VIP experience.
1: Who was behind all that? Salty Crew, or was it Red Bull, or who was who? Well, they who crowd sponsored it.
2: They crowdfunded
1: it. Oh, no, they Salty, crowdfunded.
2: Yeah, they crowdfunded it five years ago. We talked about it on the show, like but a I mean, Kickstarter. They, uh, was there a major sponsor behind it, or was it all crowdfunded? It wasn't a major sponsor, but they did get um, legitimate production companies involved with it. Okay. Um, Justin is the guy's name. I can't. Justin Purser, I believe, is the guy's name, the director, mm-hmm. and he's friends with them from childhood, friends with the Mm Hobgoods. So as he got into filmmaking and they kind of got into retirement, he was like, hey, let's partner up. Somebody needs to tell your story in a really kind of authentic way. So they started with a crowdfunding thing. I think that got the project started. They realized a year or two in that that's not nearly enough money. So they actually partnered with some production companies and, saw the project through they got daniel tosh to narrate who's a comedian obviously with his own show on comedy what, central what was that connection how did that all come well about? daniel tosh is a surfer oh is he yeah um he grew up actually in florida i think near the hobgoods i don't mm. think they knew each other in their youth right. but tosh is a quote surfer you know right. Right. i saw him posting he's got incident. a good
1: voice for a
2: voiceover right yeah. yeah yeah it seems yeah like it would work yeah um what were you thinking com- well tonally I think there was a little disconnect. Oh, really? Like I think because they got Tosh, you want to use him. You're right. like, oh, we got him. Let's use him. So they wrote a script for him for the narration that was um, – it had jokes in it.
1: Oh, you're okay. kidding.
2: So then I think from that point they started kind of editing the film to incorporate some comedy, which I think, again, tonally just wasn't an exact fit for the storyline otherwise. Little things like in the title cards for um, – you know, the talking heads being interviewed, Kelly Slater. It has his title and it says Kelly Slater, 11 time world champ. And then they add a little joke on the end of it, like world's brightest smile or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of trying to shoehorn the comedy in was a little bit of a, it, it wasn't offensive in any way, but it was kind of like, oh, these guys are talking about these really kind of earnest, meaningful, heart wrenching topics in their life. And then we're squeezing in a joke when Daniel Tosh's voiceover comes on, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. That was the only real kind of hiccup for me. Um, But again, it wasn't even offensive. So by and large, it's a grand success. And this is what you and I want. You know, we always talk about um, the WSL needing to kind of do better storytelling and all that sort of stuff. This goes back and does a lot of that storytelling that we kind of were privy to kind of if we were reading between the lines in their heyday when they were doing their you know, their most notable surfing um, social media wasn't so much a thing. So for you and I to be exposed to the Hobgoods, it was all through the top down filtering of the magazines. So a lot of those storylines we didn't really get, you know, and you could kind of infer it, but, it was they did a really good job of going back into detail and explaining i mean it's really a psychological study about rivalries between siblings and specifically between twins and there's a lot of animosity that gets built up and a lot of jealousy and cj qualifies and damien doesn't and damien's like if i never qualify what does that mean for me you know like identity issues and then going into the success of them both qualifying and making tons of money and like how does love look in that scenario like you those those are the ages when you're normally getting when your friends are getting married and buying houses and getting their careers going and so do you get married do you not do you marry your high school sweetheart do you not and then um cj does and there's a storyline about his infidelity and they actually interview his now ex-wife and how that affected her and the kids and all that sort of stuff oh my
1: god that's pretty good it goes that's deep, pretty ballsy
2: dude. to do that super ballsy
1: right and and i think my hat's off to cj for
2: allowing that because <laughs> yeah. i'm sure he didn't look too good he was very honest about it yeah. you know like i mean in a very brutal way a raw yeah. way like he was very in a way that
1: a christ centered person would be like that's the sense that i get is that he's willing to He's willing to put himself in front of everyone because he's putting himself in front of what he deems his.
2: Yeah, but he wasn't always willing. So he talks about him not being willing to for a period, and living in a dishonest way, and how that was tearing him apart. You know, yeah. and he and they're showing the footage from Tahiti when he's having that realization and like what his results were in that contest as a result of it. That sounds um, cool. Well, so what I liked about it though is, I mean, look, we all know. That these guys have every vice at their fingertips when they're traveling the world yeah. and like good-looking athletes making a bunch of money and but we don't ever get to see how that plays out in your home life yeah. and for the people who are affected by it, the victim yeah. of, victims yeah. of it, you know.
1: That's great. This sounds like great filmmaking. This to me isn't
2: even a surf movie. It's a, no, it's a documentary. It's a human interest. Yeah, that's documentary. why
1: that's why I love it. You know, because yeah. and I, and I'm stoked that it's got a surf. You know, tons drapery of drapery yeah. around it, obviously, but you know, I'm just because you know, you and I talk all the time about. Please don't give me the same old. And this right. is this is really they've gone outside the box and they've they've put themselves out there. It sounds yeah.
2: like they certainly have put themselves out there. And that's no what question that's what them. makes great film. It, right? it, it, it honestly honest. it endears you to all the characters. Oh, for sure. Like I I, I love, love those, those guys, guys already. Yeah. No. Totally. What's not to love? exactly yeah and then this it was like man whew, i can relate to all of that stuff yeah like i can relate to yeah
1: that's what's important
2: right there yeah, that heavy. we can relate to it you know what i mean the other part that really um i thought was pretty poignant was cj you know achieving all of those dreams like big house wife world, kids, world champion two thousand one, all that stuff and then coming back it was actually i think a church event or something related to one um coming back in the middle of the night with a dude From church and pulling up to the house and seeing the massive house and going what am i i don't even want this isn't even my house like what am i doing here i don't even want this like what he had thought was his dream all along because it's the dream of everybody achieving the world title achieving the house all that he kind of realized after achieving it that like i actually just want a mellow life and being able to surf and being able to fish and just being able to do what i want to do all of this comes with a bunch of expense and expectation that by the way not just expense based on what i'm earning now this expense lasts for the next 20 or 30 years until this mortgage is paid off or whatever and i don't know that i'm going to want to earn that amount of money anymore like to earn that amount of money yeah to earn that amount of money you have to be traveling the world 10 months a year and winning world title and like I don't really want to do that. So having that realization and then having to confront that in oneself and then go to your wife and just be like, can we downshift? Can we scale (laughs) back? Like, what are we doing? What do you think of a mobile home park? (laughs) It was really poignant. And again, I can't fully relate to that, but like I could relate to a version of it, you know. Everyone can relate
1: to low overhead. Surfers, I think, you know, if I can generalize, we're generally, at least I've always been. Dude, I can live in my car. Like, I can live low overhead. I mean, I've traveled and lived in Dungy Creek. You know, we all have, right? I think surfers can relate to low overhead because, you know, the only thing that really matters is, hey, let's get ourselves on good waves, you know? And that means low overhead. You know what I mean? And so, Completely. at least to us, but maybe not our significant others or our children. Or yeah. We've bit off a big chunk of cultural pie
2: that we're not really comfortable with that isn't really us. And Yep yeah
1: interesting.
2: and so I thought that was interesting because it allowed me to assess my future. like I can't relate to buying that big house and those and marriage with kids and all that sort of stuff. but it allowed me to tap into it in my potential future and be like, Hey, dude, redirect course. When you're feeling the draw towards those things, remember some of that draw is external pressures, you know. I mean, just buying a house in Southern California is insane. Oh, I know, dude. You're
1: looking at a million dollars. Yep. And so, guess what that means? Ten thousand dollars a year just in property taxes over thirty years. Yep. Three hundred grand in property taxes. Yep. That's just throws a loop in the whole deal. Like it's just
2: that's gnarly. So insane. Yeah. Property taxes. Yep. Taxes in general. Get out of Southern California. Get yeah. out. <laughs> Uh, it's just well. So, hard. so at any rate, shout out to the Hobgoods and Justin yeah. Purz. What about for that. Damien?
1: What Damien's story I, I interviewed Damien. He's a great interview. Yeah. And um what what was the, the big drama? Was there a conflict in Damien Damien's, Damien's, Damien's storyline? Besides, the tremendously.
2: Brother? The the main theme for Damien is playing second fiddle to the one-minute older brother and the world champ and yeah. all that sort of stuff yeah. so damien's constantly trying to reconcile his own identity yeah. against cjs yeah and so the way that looked through their youth was like they all they always had the same sponsors you know and so they did always market themselves together well it wasn't their choice a lot of the time you right. know it was rusty's decision right. and then they kind of got out from under that on umbrella globe. they both were on globe right so, that, yeah, they got out from that umbrella and then kind of tried to create some separation. So Damien, they were both on Globe, but then Damien went over. Fox was doing the surf thing. Then Damien starts doing the, knowing he's not going to win a world title or accepting that at some point, starts pursuing the big wave thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, yeah. it was mm-hmm. really good. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So and to if by c it's not available yet. They're gonna to tour it and then it'll be available for purchase, but we will keep listeners informed on when those things happen. All right. Cool. I'm gonna buy that when it comes out. Good. Gotta support the things you love. I think though, I I feel like we are having a rebirth of uh the feature-length surf film to a certain degree. Like with that Need Essentials, Norderland. Is that feature-length? It was 40 minutes. The Hobgood one is actually two hours. Was the it, Hobgood one could have been 90 long? minutes. Yeah, it was too long. Yeah. I don't know where or what they would have edited, cut. edited the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know where or what they would have cut, yeah. but I found myself at the end of the two hours getting antsy.
1: Because you're kind of like, I get it. Yeah, I'm just rags, ready to get out of my seat. Rags to riches and back again. I mean, look if ready. you're at
2: if you're at yeah. home, you have the ability to pause and go to the right. refrigerator. I was in a theater right. for two hours. Right. It's tough to it sit can, that yeah. long. Was yeah. your chop up like falling? Over, did you have to brush your hair? It was getting a little loose, but I wanted to check Instagram. I have these other <laughs> oh these other That's dopamine. What's up with your hits. screen
1: time? I've been using that article you sent.
2: And your Tell screen time's gone down. Tell the listeners. So, listener, a listener we were talking about spending too much time on our phones. So a listener emailed us last epi- after last episode and was like, Hey, you guys should look at this new phone that, um, you know, I forget what the phone is called. I've seen it. It was advertised a year or two ago. There was like a Kickstarter. It's a phone that basically only allows you to text and call. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, Hey man, I don't like adding things to my life to create solutions for things that I have too much of, you know, like I'm fine with reducing things, but I don't want to add a new gadget. Yeah. In lieu of just discipline, like I should just be able to enforce a discipline. So I Googled how to um, reduce your screen time. And this great article came up that was very practical about productivity. Yeah, just like creating folders on your home screen and doing things alphabetically, eliminating your notifications. Scott's showing me his home screen right now. There's literally eight widgets.
1: And, And you can't remove those from iPhone. Right. Right. and there's a black screen there's not a screen that whole article talked about if you put images on your home screen it makes you want to pick it up and look at mm-hmm. it and yeah. then i got folders down here yeah. i've turned off all my notifications yep. so and then they want you to get used to swiping right so you can look at your stuff and screen time is right up here and um, i'm 1 minute below my average for today
2: at this on time or by time. the end of the day
1: i don't know let me let me check if i click Cause on cuz you screen- got
2: a lot of day left ahead of you yeah. Well, Here, let's uh, see.
1: The last seven days, four hours per day of screen time. It's a lot. Is it?
2: I mean, yeah. <laughs> do you do that <laughs> four hours? <laughs> well, I mean, not by compared to anybody else, but that's just a lot. Period. I'm
1: hoping to get some
2: sort of comparison. Four hours, a lot. Uh, so, dude, speaking yeah. of Wayne Lynch, yeah, Shark Story, all that stuff, and your buddy, the oceanographer, going to his paddle out. Walter Monk. Walter Monk. Google so him, dude. He's I've got, gnarly. I've got this new app that I've been using. This is going to increase your screen time. No, I'm not going to use it. It's really good, though. <laughs> all right, what is it? It's called We Croak. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's all about acknowledging death is imminent for all of us. So there's a lot of cultures around. Why do I need
1: to acknowledge? I'm going to tell
2: you why. There's a lot of cultures around the world who that's a part of their daily. Uh, awareness, you know, like Japanese Mm -hmm. Bhutanese, they have these sayings that are incorporated into their life that are just like, just be mindful and reverent of death because it'll make you more respectful of how you use your time you yeah. won't waste as much time on your phone if you know that you're going to die so this app <laughs> so you downloaded an so app to tell you this. these these app developers they yes. they're like all about that philosophy and they were implementing it in their life and living a better life because of it mm-hmm. and like deleting instagram and all that sort of stuff and they're like we'll just create an app that reduce it doesn't actually draw you into your phone that much more you can't link it to social media you can't share it with friends any of that it's just five notifications a day they come sporadically intentionally and you open the notification and it's a quote and that's it like you can't there's not a lot to the app other than that it's just one quote five times a day and i'll read five quotes a day yeah and which i thought was going to be too much it's not it's kind of a constant reminder just by the time you finish kind of processing one of your quotes and go about your day you get another reminder and it's a new quote and you kind of process Mm -hmm. it's just the right amount i found out so anyways this is one of them wildness wildness it is perennially within us dormant as a hard-shelled seed Awaiting the fire or flood that awakes it again. <laughs> Gary Snyder. Oh, Gary. So some of them are people you know. Some of them are people you don't. Mm. But look, wildness is a good thing within us, right? And it's perennially, perennially within us dormant. And then a flood comes, the water comes, and it sprouts it. So it's like rather than just being dormant fire, all the time.
1: Or fire. It's at a fire. What is a fire? You roast it and then you salt it
2: and eat it? I don't know. That's a good one. I'm not sure what the fire has to do. Um, okay. Well, that wasn't the greatest example. That didn't we move cro-
1: me to download Oh, it.
2: dude. It's what I got. You can access the current quote. I can't go back and look at the archives. Right. You know. Um, but we croak if you guys want to download that. <laughs> that is kind of <laughs> Solid
1: weird. name, though, right? That is kind of weird. Let me see your home screen. Let me see what you got there. Did you? Uh, no. Mine yes. is definitely not. Oh, that, see, that's like candy. Let's play. I know. Mine is all candy. That looks like candy. All
2: right, dude. We should talk about bells. 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 2019 Rip Curl Pro, Bells Beach. Great event. I loved it. it. I thought it
1: was. Yeah? I enjoyed it. Yeah? Yeah. Big, meaty, mean, lumpy. That inside, that final section was where all the scoring was taking place. I mean, it's Bells. You know, it's like you and I have argued for years. Bells should be taken off the tour. But there's so much friggin' history and legacy, it's never going to get taken off the tour, ever. Right. It's the longest running, oldest pro surf contest in the
2: history of... 58th year. So it's
1: just not going to go away. So... If, they're get, if it's going to happen, at least it's going to be 8 to 12 feet and lumpy and mean and radical on whatever Saturday it was. And then the final day was really clean and killer. And I thought it was a great event. I yeah. enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah. And I watched it all live
2: and listened. You know, I was into it. I agree with you. Um, again, the events are too long. And the fact that, like, Think back to round one. It just ran in, like, knee-high, waist, yeah. waist-high crappy surf. Right. You, It's almost not even the same event. And it's yeah. almost a shame that a bunch of guys, I agree. Chloe and Dino, I agree. loses mm-hmm. before any of that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. That's a shame.
1: I totally agree. The, vet, the They need to trim down... The amount of surfers.
2: Yeah. They really do. And we reiterate this every event, so it's probably not worth me belaboring the point No, I think it is. But but it kind of is more relevant. uh, It's more relevant now than ever. When you watch that event, and it's like, all that we're going to remember is that round of 16 and the finals day. Yeah. And that's it. So everything that happened before is like a trials event almost. Yeah. You know? I thought the commentary was really good. I thought Potts
1: was really good. I thought that um, Strider was just kind of... I think... I don't know. There's moments where Strider says some pretty good stuff, but there's a lot of stuff where I was like, What about Didn't I text you? I'm like, why are we looking at Strider's back too? They would like have the drone over him and they're showing the back of his head and he's talking. I'm
2: like, why doesn't he at least turn around and look at the drone? Dude, would you turn around when you're sitting in that southern ocean where there's twelve foot waves marching in? (laughs) Do your job. You want to turn your back to rule number one, look at the camera. What about the addition of Luke Egan? I like Luke Egan a lot. Do
1: you? Yeah, I like that he he's he kind of he's like the uh, anti Joe Trapel, you know. He's like very. He's just like keeps it real. He's short. A lot of times he will just go back to you, boys. Like that's all you're going to get out of me, motherfucker.
2: I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna get coached beyond that because I, I think that was a failure of his. What do you he's,
1: mean? Oh, you mean like stopping the interview short and just sending it back to the booth? Well,
2: like okay. When he's on, when he's doing the beach commentary. Yeah. He interviewed, ah, oh man, who was it? Somebody who had something really. Jack Perry, the guy that had the
1: boards in no. his garage. He did it. I, that was one where he cut it short. And I was like, that was kind of cool. He just asked him one okay. question, the guy answered. And he goes, that's all you're getting. He basically was saying, back to you, boys. I'm not following up with a question.
2: Right. So, Which I thought was. That's fine. But one, the one that I'm thinking of, something kind of crazy happened in the ocean. It might have been Owen Wright and not having his board waxed. And then, do you remember that? No. I'll tell you that one in a second. Anyways, he, he meets up with him after the heat on the stairs. Yeah. And the commentators in the booth pitch down to Luke. Luke is supposed to tee up the conversation and be like, hey, Owen, what happened? Why wasn't your backup board waxed? But he never even asked the question. He just goes, hey, Owen. And he jams the mic in Owen's face. And then Owen kind of tells what's on Owen's mind. And then he's done. And Luke goes, all right, back to you guys in the booth. And it's like, Luke, your job is to tee it up and then reset it and give it back to the people yeah. in the booth, you know? That, that and he doesn't do some basic stuff like that. Well, you. Right. They will coach him on that. So, okay, I like Luke as well. And I'm glad to see him. And I'm glad to see him replace Pete in the booth. Because Pete and Ronnie's dynamic is stilted at best. And we talked about this last year when they first linked up, I think, at the beginning of the season when Pete replaced Ross. Because... Ronnie and Ross were gold and they had a great rapport. And then Pete comes in to replace Ross. And it was almost like Ronnie was pissed. Do you remember talking about this? Yes. Like Ronnie was because Ronnie would tee up these perfect lines of conversation over to Pete and Pete would swing and miss. Pete didn't even see him coming. He didn't know what he was talking about. He would interrupt Ronnie half the time. He wouldn't pick up what Ronnie was putting down. And then you could hear Ronnie getting resentful. And like, so, and then he kind of undermined Pete a little bit, and it was contentious. Well, that could be a good thing. No, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't. I agree. Good. I'm just saying. So now
0: I'm getting sure.
2: they, they're doing 50-50. It's like they're getting Pete back on the sideline reporting and testing out Luke with Ronnie, which is great. But my buddy sent me a text about Luke that I thought was spot on. He goes, Luke Egan is too slow and deliberate. Smart but boring. And I agree. It's like Luke is very smart. He can provide all the same kind of world tour um, in the water experience and knowledge and know-how that Pete can and board design and all that sort of stuff. But he's smart. He's really smart. It's just that he's a little too deliberate. He's a little too slow to keep up with the pacing of the heat. If he can speak, and I probably have that issue too. I speak very slow and deliberately. Um, I've had people complain about that with me. But I think if he could like ramp up his... Energy level. Pacing, yeah.
1: yeah. Again, all coachable yeah, things. Interesting. Good concept. Good co- uh, commentary on that. I, I, The one thing that maybe is lacking from anybody still on the sidelines is you get the sense that Luke's too close to it, too close to the competitors. Like he's not going to be the guy out of respect for the competitors. Not that he doesn't have the balls to do it, if that's what you want to say, balls or the – you know the moxie to go. Hey, you didn't wax your board. That's a huge mistake. What happened? Or you know, it, you know what I mean? I need that. We need that guy that that McEnroe or Johnny Miller guy that's gonna call him out mm-hmm. and not be worried about how it might be perceived by others. Because believe me, others are gonna go. That was lame. Why'd you call out? You need but somebody that's who gonna doesn't happen. care about being buddy buddy with Ex- pro surfers. Exactly. Yeah. But but that has their respect too. Yeah, yeah. They got to have the, it's got you know what I mean? Because Luke has their respect, but Luke also needs to like, I mean, next year he could be coaching one of these guys. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't want to, you know, yeah. upset the apple cart, the future apple
2: cart. And almost all of these guys have brand loyalties because they came from yeah. working with a brand or they yeah. still are part of the team, yeah. you
1: know? Yeah, like Strider's just dropping biolas and lost shit everywhere. Oh, yeah. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Which is fine, but it is what it is, you know? Uh,
2: yeah, it's a problem. I mean, it's fine, and we can all relate to it. And we know why these things are in the place that they are, but it's guess, a problem for growth. My question to you is
1: Is there even room or a necessity for. Somebody that's more critical than what we're getting is there? Is there need to be a more critical?
2: Absolutely. Eye? Yeah. Absolutely. And is that person on he? the
1: beach commentator, or is he in the booth, co- or maybe a mixture?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. Could be either. Yeah. I'd be fine with him asking those questions to the athlete directly on the. On Do you the beach. remember there was a World
1: Series or an All Star baseball game? You probably don't remember. It might have been ten years ago and Jim Gray is this sideline reporter guy that everyone cringes cuz he's the guy that'll ask the tough question. And Pete Rose was asked by Major League Baseball, "Who Pete Rose has been banned from major from the All-Star uh, from the Hall of Fame for betting, for gambling." And as, you know, a way to sort of maybe bridge some relationships with Pete Rose. Major League Baseball asked him to come out and throw the first pitch at the All-Star game. So he's out there on the mound, he throws the first pitch. Everyone's welcoming Pete back. Everyone's clapping. They're in love with Pete, the fans, everyone, the commentators. And Jim Gray, they throw it down to Jim Gray. And Jim Gray just goes, Do you think you'll ever make the Hall of Fame based on your gambling problem? Or whatever. And Jim and Pete Rose just looks at him like on national TV and just goes, Really, you're gonna you're gonna ask me this question now? Like I thought you had more, you know, like, basically there was drama, there was conflict, yeah. but Jim Gray asked the question that was a legitimate question. The Maybe. question
2: that everybody wants to know. Yeah. The most obvious question. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so is there a place for a Jim Gray type guy? There's
2: a necessity
1: for A necessity. For it. necessity. There's yeah. an absolute necessity. I, I've I
2: don't understand why nobody will ask Kelly Slater the things that... We're all wondering about Kelly Slater. What
1: would you ask Kelly Slater if you were the sideline reporter and
2: you didn't have to worry about getting him on your show later in the year? I don't think he'll ever do it at this point. Like, I've been vocally critical enough. I don't think he will, you know? But what I would ask him... No, but
1: I mean, what would you ask?
2: Yeah, I would ask... You would say, are you
1: too caught up in your outside issues to really give it a good run at the world title? Your outside business? Yes.
2: Is your business um, affiliation with your board company preventing you from getting on the right board of this event, which was that Simon Anderson. When he rode that Simon Anderson, that board looked light years better than what he was riding. And then the very next heat against Ryan Callanan, he's back on his other equipment. And by the way, he, got couldn't, lost. he couldn't get, he, he was just finished a, the heat with a 5.67. That, I, and he had the two waves that he needed. He got up on two waves that ran all the way through to the inside and never figured out the pacing of the wave. He had an outside section that he had to go around because he wasn't in the right position. Possess- Uh, positioning to hit it then it lines up on the inside and he just like swerves around and then on the absolute inside to hit the end section i think he hit one of them and the other one he didn't even know how to approach it and it's because he's on a board that he's constantly pumping to find speed on and it's kind of um it's really responsive but it's really it looked too light like it didn't have drive whereas when he got on that simon anderson a lot less responsive but it had drive and he's just like Steps on the gas in the bottom turn and it launches him through that mid-phase bottom turn. And then he goes into an arc and does like this giant 30-yard arc down the face. Then goes up, banks off the white. It was like beautiful. And and again, he only got a four something on that board because he only rode it for half the heat. But you could see like, oh, there's the drive and the speed from Kelly that I haven't seen in years. It's wonderful to see and it's the right thing for these waves. And it's what Ryan Callinan is doing to beat him. What the heck are you doing, Kelly? You know, <laughs> that's I mean? a long
1: question, dude. <laughs> I, I think you would have walked Sorry, away Kelly. by then. Sorry, Kelly. No, but I agree with you. And I think what Martin Potter said was spot on that he looks better on longer boards. Absolutely. And I think his boards are a little too. And by small. the
2: way, it doesn't have to be the Simon Anderson. Like, you have a board company. Make a longer board for yeah. yourself. Like, yeah. why didn't you show up with a longer board? Well, in many ways, like when you think about it, when he was with
1: like I think Al Merrick had the ability to go, Kelly, I think you should ride this. And Kelly would be like, all right. Yeah. But right now he's got a bunch of guys that are like, I don't know. I'll make you whatever you tell me to make you. Like there's nobody that's got – but Simon has the ability to go, Kelly, I think you should ride the 510 or whatever. You know what I mean? 6-3. Like si- whatever. Yeah. My point is, is he doesn't have somebody that he looks up to and goes, I'm going to
2: listen to this guy. And The way he did with Al or Simon. That's a good point. And I think we love the fact that he's a pioneer of board design. So I love that he's testing out all this stuff. Yeah. But I look at that specific scenario and I go, dude, so back to the exact question that we started this with, are your outside business interests influencing your ambitions to win a world title? Because if you're thinking, which board should I take it in the heat? The one that's on retail racks that people can go buy? Like I want to go showcase the prowess of that board or I want to win this heat and and I don't have the right length board from Slater Designs available at my fingertips so I'm going to ride the right board for this heat that happens to be available to me. Like, are those decisions at play? Okay,
1: so ask me that question and I'll I'll role play Kelly Slater answering All
2: that. right, Kelly. Are your outside business interest decisions affecting your board selection?
1: Wow. Uh, I didn't expect that. Um,
2: I don't know. Did it look like I was
1: not surfing good?
2: Yes. You're not getting the drive out of the boards that I would expect and you're riding a board that's a lot shorter than everybody else.
1: Well, I don't know. It was kind of it was weird. That's, that heat was weird. I was just in the wrong position. I paddled up to the Rincon. I didn't get any waves up there. I hung out there too long. I went back to the bowl, and some big wide ones came through. I just got. I was out of rhythm more than anything. It's not the boards.
2: You got two waves that had the scoring potential that you needed, and it seemed to be that the boards were undergunned for that size of a wave.
1: That's my phone. I got to
2: take this call. <laughs>
1: It's a I business be, associate. <laughs> um,
2: do you agree? Did you see the waves, yeah. the heats that I'm talking about? Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I, this was this was indicative of a larger issue for me with this event, which was when the swell arrived, which, by the way, everybody had five days to prepare for at least. Yeah. There was a bunch of late days, and we saw that swell coming. Everybody hyped it. Hashtag 50-year storm. And yet, <laughs> yet everybody was un, uh, unprepared with their equipment. Like, I saw Jordy had— That was weird, that
1: that heat where he rode that 6'6", and he caught, like, one wave and came in and traded it out.
2: Yeah, so Jordy had—I saw an Eric Arakawa. I saw a DHD, I saw a Dahlberg. Like, it seemed like he just went and bought boards off the rack in the last five days. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. You should be prepared for these things. You know, I mean, these are professional surfers. I agree. These are agree. the top athletes. The guys going for but world title, making millions if of you're dollars. At bells, and you've got you know 6,
1: six two and unders, and it's all of a sudden, oh shit! In seven days, it looks like it's going to be macking. You got to buy a board off the rack. You, okay, you got to grab a board Agreed. from a garage.
2: You got, you are not going to custom make a board. Okay, so I am fine with that. What about Owen Wright's backup board wasn't waxed? So he goes out there and he breaks a board, comes into the beach, and his backup board's on the beach and he has to wax it. <laughs> that one's that one's a little wacky. Jeremy Flores comes in looking for his board, couldn't find his caddy. It wasn't on the beach. It's at the top of the stairs in the locker room. This is middle of a heat mm-hmm. on the 50 year storm that you guys have been waiting for. You gotta for. fire the caddy. Insane. Like yeah. the lack of professionalism is absolutely insane to me. Yeah, I agree. Like yeah. what are you guys doing? Those are it's freaking ridiculous. Are they stoned? Those are stoners? I don't know. Um <laughs> this was Sam George wrote this piece that ended up on Beach Grit and he said, quote, "Almost half of Kelly's scored rides were wipeouts." This was in in his heat against Ryan Callan. Um almost half of Kelly's scores scored rides were wipeouts and his highest score maxed out at 3.5. The semi-final with Toledo and Callanan, 8 to 10 foot, offshore, 13 waves ridden and not a single one in the excellent range. I won't even talk about the top bogs and the over the falls, ass over tea kettle wipeouts. Watching all of this wetsuit flushing had me trying to think of any other world class sport where in the heat of competition there's absolutely no penalty for spectacularly screwing up. Pro surfing, at least judged by these performances, looks a little bit like a junior T-ball where the little kids can come up, can keep on swinging until they finally connect and then they get cheered all the way to first base. <laughs> quote. That's pretty good. It's true. Yeah. Like to to have Kelly make it all the way to the quarterfinals yeah. with only really winning one. Hi, eight, Dick Matz.
1: Are you big, have that through? Yeah, yeah, we'll be through in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes? Yeah. You want to go out in the other room and stay as long as you want? Yeah, yeah. we do.
2: Okay. Let's well, do it. And then
1: we could come in here. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I think it's follow the lights, though.
2: Um, yeah. All right. Well, we just switched venues because our conference room needed to get you uh, was being used by somebody else with an appointment, which we didn't have. So a little more echoey in here.
1: Does it sound echoey? I
2: don't know. Who knows? Anyways, I just wanted to let the listeners, in case they noticed. Um, so anyways... It's it's kind of, yeah. Uh, for me, there were three surfers who actually looked comfortable out there.
1: Ryan Callahan. Okay, four. He looked insane. You're right. Not one he...
2: You're right, he did.
1: He, he did. was just... But then he looked tired. He got tired at the end of the event. My,
2: my three were going to be Felipe... I'm sorry, um, Gabriel and John John, for sure. Yeah. And then Jordy.
1: Yeah, Jordy looked good.
2: Yeah. And Kelly looked comfortable out there and knew how yeah. to pick the waves it was just a equipment choice for yeah. me and then felipe i feel like looked comfortable but he also calculated I think, got his best scores on mid-sized waves which
1: is really where like where, that's where most of the good scores were taking place right probably
2: yeah so those guys but john john and gabriel specifically no matter what size wave they were on they looked poised casual they weren't rushing to get to the next section, and then if a lip presented itself, they went straight up into it every time. They attacked it. It was gnarly. Yeah. Those guys, I'm like, okay, those guys should be in the final together. Unfortunately, they matched up in the quarters. Yeah. But still, it was just, like, gnarly.
1: Yeah. Um, And so, as usual, the end section at, at Bell's is where the heaviest scoring was taking place because it's just this gnarly... It's just not, it's not a friendly-looking section to it's hit. It's a left coming at you. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult.
2: When it's freaking triple
1: overhead. <laughs> it's, people die in there. By the way, speaking of, there's a great interview with Simon Anderson and Steve Rob, Robbo, Robertson, who and, and they show the 1981 Bells event when it was huge and when Simon rode the three-fin for the first time out there. And it just so happens that he had borrowed Rabo's board. That was he had made it for Rabo, and and it's a great interview. And you they show footage of the event, and it it was way, I think it was not way bigger, but it was bigger and better than what we saw cleaner. on the clean last finals day right. of this event. And it's pretty cool to see it and to hear these guys talk about it.
2: Yep. Um- and that's the other thing. This swell was overhyped, right? Everybody yeah. was calling it the 50-year storm. and yeah. But it was like, that's not the biggest surf we've seen at Bells in 50 years, and it wasn't the best. Like, the biggest day, what was enjoyable about it was that it was unruly, yeah. you know, adding that kind of element of chaos.
1: But we're kind of nitpicking. I mean, thank God there was a— f- Yeah, yeah. Thank God we had the ability to hype— a 50 year swell even if it didn't maybe deliver on conditions or whatever
2: it was the first time in a long time where I felt like bells deserved the place on tour exactly that's, a, added, that's how I feel about it yeah. too it, it added, needs to
1: be 8 feet at least before I'm like okay when it's 2 to 3 foot bells you're just kind of like but I guess you could say that about any any spot on tour if it's just 2 to 3 you're a little bummed
2: I suppose um, but 2 to
1: 3 bells is not that especially if the tide gets weird well then they
2: run it at Winky yeah and then what the heck? Yeah. Bring lowers back if you're going to do that. You know.
1: Hashtag bring lowers back.
2: Definitely. Um, what about Idolo's interference call against Jordy? Did you watch it? Yeah. What are your thoughts?
1: I think it's bullshit. I think he. Sh- I think don't let the the referees shouldn't decide a situation like that. Like it, this was he kicked out. It, I don't. You know, Jordy took off in the whitewash. Idolo saw him and kicked out. Like, yep. did you feel like there was any interference? Like, Zero. I, there was no scoring interference taking place. The potential for Jordy to score was never jeopardized. Nope. I thought he, that was bullshit.
2: He had to go over Idolo's track, but it didn't affect Jordy at all. Yeah. So what happened there was they applied the letter of the law. So the ju- the rule book says that you can't create a track that the other surfer has to go over, basically. And... The spirit of the law is that. Are you interfering with
1: scoring potential? You don't
2: want to hinder the scoring potential. So, really, they should have employed the spirit of the law there, where it's like, look, Jordy wasn't going to complain. Nobody was going to complain. But they recognize they were creating a liability for themselves where Jordy, what if Jordy loses this heat and he does come back to complain? He has a valid complaint that he should have won based on the interference. So, they had to imply it. But what I think. Really another detail that needs to be addressed in that specific scenario is, even though Jordy had priority, Idolo took off on the outside and really couldn't imagine, probably didn't even think that Jordy would go because Jordy was in a position where he had to take off on the whitewash. So Jordy strictly went out of tactic. Jordy was winning the heat. If Idolo wasn't out the back on that wave, Jordy would not have gone on the whitewash of that wave. So Idolo made a decision to go, knowing he was in the clear and Jordy would have had to go on the whitewash. As soon as he saw Jordy spinning in the whitewash, he goes, Oh, I'm out of here. And he kicked out. No hindrance of Jordy's potential at all. Jordy continued to go. No harm, no foul. Idolo made the decision at the time, using all the information he had, he made the right decision. The information changed. He changed, made the right decision again, and got out of the wave. The judges we're holding him accountable for information that he didn't know when the, he took off on the wave. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's wrong.
1: Yeah. It's a gray area because the, the first part of it that you explained, letter of the law, and oh, what if Jordy lost and he came up to the judges to go, "Hey, what about the rule? You guys didn't enforce it." That point you made makes a lot of sense. It's cogent. It's valid. But the second part you made, yeah, makes tons of sense too, yeah. and. So at the end of the day you got to say well what does the rule say yeah and did he violate the rule yeah and if the answer is yes then what what's the question even though i don't agree with it i didn't think he deserved to be i i felt like was that the semis or the quarters that was at the end of the rounds i want to say quarters to me it's like look we're in the business end let's let the surfers decide this let's not let the
2: referees decide this totally and i mean that's the problem with surfing that kind of constantly comes up is there's so much gray area so much subjectivity and we keep trying to refine it and push it towards objectivity so that we can be a legitimate sport and whatever but there's just moments that you can't yeah it's the all, all
1: sports are having this issue i mean last night in the nba there was a major referee issue was there yeah with the houston rockets and golden state warriors and this is a sport that's a true sport in that You score your own points and there's a defense that tries to stop you from scoring your own points and you can't smoke and you can't wear leisure slacks. So it's a true sport. So, but they had a big, there was a, you know, talk, it's on talk radio all morning about this, this referee call. Yeah. Should he have called it? Shouldn't he have called it?
2: All of that. There's a great, uh, I don't know what it, it was a podcast I was listening to a month ago, which um, talked about the NBA and them being, kind of the media questioning their objectivity with the refereeing so to rebut that the nba invested i feel like it was 20 million dollars building out this headquarters for all of the replays to run through i forget what it's like in houston or something so every game they have all of this technology tons of camera angles in every stadium where they can slow down and look at every single play that happens to figure out what actually happened. So now the referees, whenever there's a questionable call, get on the line to HQ immediately. They're reviewing the footage. And then at the end of every game, they release all of their, in, like complete transparency. Here's what transpired in every call of every game. Here's a report publicly available for players, fans, any the media, anybody who wants to know how we made the decisions we made. Here's complete transparency. And I thought that was really interesting. Is that the NBA or the NFL? It was the NBA. The the NFL probably does too, I would imagine. But the the cameras are so good and they have every angle covered that like sometimes during halftime, they'll have a magician on the court doing a card trick. They could zoom in and see all of his sleight of hand and see how he's doing his tricks. That's pretty cool. That's how legit it is. You know, but it was, you know, it's this... I mean, I said $20 million. It's probably a bigger investment than that when you're looking at all the staffing. Yeah. But it's kind of like... This There's is nothing just... more
1: important than the integrity of the league. Exactly.
2: Exactly. How do you quantify whether or not you see a return on that? You don't. No,
1: you don't. It's all about it's just the integrity. marketing investment. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a good... Do you have a legit product? Exactly.
2: exactly. Um, so a couple of other things that we could discuss from Bell's. Julian Wilson... Two early losses in two events. I feel like we always have the question about his world title ability. He has all the talent in the world, of course. What happened, he surfed against Kelly. They got pitted against each other in that kind of early elimination round. Kelly stayed busy, got a couple of mediocre scores, combined heat total of 11, and Julian sat out the back waiting for set waves that never came, and uh, so Julian loses. I feel like the ocean works against you at least one event a year, at least one heat a year, if not an entire event. That's it, yeah. So you have to accept that that's going to happen no matter who you are. We'll chalk that one up for Julian Wilson. Unfortunately, it happened early in the year. That's why you have to control every other variable. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, Julian, that one wasn't really your fault. Maybe you could have altered your strategy once you saw the way things are going.
1: That's where I was going with this. Okay. and It's such a gray area this concept of because what happens is it comes back to bite you like if you alter your strategy let's say you paddle inside and up to Rincon to try to get busy and instead of waiting for three killer waves in 35 minutes you just you want to be all over the place and it comes back to bite you because killer sets come in and your competitor is out by himself way out at the ball and he's scoring yeah now you're like why'd you break from your strategy if you would have just held your guns so I think the the general hard and fast rules, always go into the heat with the strategy and stay the stay the strategy. If you lose, you lose, but at least you didn't try something else and then just get all scattered.
2: I think the problem is post-event, you get scattered. Post-event, Julian goes, shoot, now next time do I stick to my strategy? Because it screwed me this time. And now I'm in the hole because we're going into the third event and I'm two events down. Those are my two throwaways already. Now I got to perform every single event. You know?
1: Well, that is what it is. I will say this hats off to WSL and Rosie Hodge for getting an interview with him after he lost, because that's one of the things that you and I are always talking about. Like, go talk to the losers. Yeah. Let's get them when they're pissed. And, you know, Julian had the composure and the professionalism to do a pretty good post heat I'm leaving now. I've got my boards under my arm interview. Yeah. And I thought that was
2: good. And they need more of that. Agreed. Um, did you watch the Heritage series Heat? I did. You into it? Eh, yeah, I was kind of bored. I mean, I'm always into
1: watching Tom and Aki for that matter, but it's lost some of its luster. Why? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I was into it. I tuned into it. Um, I, I just kind of feel like a heritage heat needs to be in, like, four to five foot really clean waves. Yeah. If they're 47 years old and 53 years old or however old they are, like, they, they almost... You kind of need to put them out in the geriatric surf, you know, like perfect clean four foot restaurants laughs or something like that. Like you know. they did
2: at J, J- Bay last night.
1: Right. And look how good that was, right? Tom was killing it.
2: I like the fact that they did it um, when they were transitioning the event from Bells to Winky. So we have this downtime anyways. Let's go ahead and utilize it in a meaningful way. But then they have the problem that you're saying, which is... The reason why they're transitioning the event is because bells is getting blown to crap it's not that good anymore yeah and the other issue is like tom curran couldn't care enough to even ride a real board like i he, think he cares he he knew it was crap I mean, why did he ride super dave then because
1: because <laughs> i think he paddled out on the ci ride a black beauty yeah. or something because he kind of as an ode to the i'm sure they all went. please ride the black yeah. beauty because that's what you rode in the heat you know in 1992 or whatever and but i think it's i mean we all want him to ride super dave <laughs> didn't you weren't you that was when i was happy i'm like cool he's riding super dave and kelly by the way he was commentating they were all stoked that he was running super dave
2: yeah i, I the mean fact I love- that he has
1: a board named super dave <laughs> <laughs> It's so
2: wonderful I mean- but he needs to ride it I um, you got it nobody yet. else refers to it as Super Dave I saw it in one Instagram post one time and now I'm going to use it every chance it's I get it's the <laughs> it name so for good. a surfboard ever it's, it's, so it's
1: right there it's just atop Magic Sam Nat Young's board in the 66 so world titles um, Super Dave I guess, <laughs> so I guess you got to know who Super Dave is to really get it right I Super think Dave from from even, even
2: if you don't know it's still fun Yeah, thank um, you right
1: I've got something I want to say, but go ahead.
2: I do love how fast. I mean, when you see the amount of um, glide and speed that he gets on that thing without moving a muscle and without pumping it, you recognize why he's doing it. You're like, oh, he's tapping into a whole different level here that, you know, a rockered um, surfboard can't tap into. So I I get why he's riding it. It's just, I want to see Curran do some big old arcs, you know? I want to see. I but think. I love that it's so current. It's like only yeah. Curran would do something like that. Yeah. So.
1: Exactly. What are you gonna do? And some of Curran's commentary in the booth was pretty pretty cool. It's pretty, it was good to have Martin's really good at interviewing guys, being the moderator guy. Yeah. He's done those at that SEMA thing in Cabo. They'll have Martin do be sort of the moderator. He's a really pretty good interviewer. Very good interviewer. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so I interesting that something I wanna throw out to you and the listeners. I was at I was down at Sharpie in San Diego with Marcio Zuvi and we were talking about the Brazilian storm and he basically said Scott the Brazilian storm is going to be over that because of the economy in Brazil right now which has been in the tank for about 5 years there's really no young up and coming kids even though there's a bunch of hot red hot up-and-coming Brazilian surfers down in Brazil. There's no, the resources and the, um, the ability for them to sort of jump into um, competitive surfing, a structure so that eventually they will get to the QS and the CT sort of that middle structure has just been taken away because the economy is so bad So yeah, look there's like a lot of you know There's well-to-do Brazilians, and they're not affected by the economy, and there's going to be surfers that come out of that st- Social stratification, but the majority of the poor Brazilians the and Andres of the world those guys Don't have, there's not sponsorship, there's not an infrastructure, there's not resources. And so Marcia was saying, look for the Brazilian storm to sort of putter to an end. He was saying, is it Mateus Herdy? He basically said, that's going to be the last one. I don't think you're going to see anybody else kind of come up through the QS and get on tour. Interesting. Very interesting, and we'll see how that plays out. Now, on the opposite side of that, he said, where you're going to see the next storm come from is Japan. There's a Japanese storm that's brewing right now. They're all because of Kanoa. Kanoa's is just like this, like Kanoa is huge over there. He's the, by the way, the Olympics visa, who's the official sponsor of the Olympic games, like the overarching title sponsor visa, they've chosen, and they could have chosen any athlete from any country. And they chosen Kanoa Igarashi to represent visa and all of their Olympic advertising. And they're, Kanoa is just on TV everywhere yep. in Japan, and so there's all of these. There's a lot of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old Japanese kids that have been watching Kanoa for the past five, six, seven years, that are all coming up through the ranks. That are all they're all riding high performance surfboards. A lot of them are flying over here to do contests. Yep. And um, do you know what Igarashi means? I don't. Fifty storm. Arashi is storm. Iga, 50. 50 storm. Kano Igarashi, Japanese storm, David. Typhoon. Look for it. It's a typhoon. typhoon. Thank you very much. But Arashi is storm. Um, Igarashi. So now. That makes a ton of sense. Hold on, though. He's on Sharp Eyes, too, now. Yeah, I know. I talked to Gary Linden last night. He was with me at Walter Monk's house for dinner. And he's calling BS on this theory. I am, too. Saying that the Brazilians are so hungry they're so v- v- rabid that it doesn't matter they're going to find well, a way to get well
2: the the glaring contradiction for marcio's argument is he's implying that adriana de Souza, miguel pupo no, Jetson andre had a middle-class strata that propped them into no, it but they no but they didn't they had
1: a surf industry Did that they? was like hey let's get this kid no that they kid. didn't they had some
2: sort of like... No, they didn't, dude. Those guys came from the favelas. They had nothing. Okay, but how did them. they get from the favela to where they were? To where they are now? Yeah, to the, like, let's say the QS. I'm suggesting nothing's changed. There were some low-level circuits. Right, and that, that they, is now gone. Those contests are going away? That's gone. It says
1: The guys that picked out Jadson and Adriano and then went, hey, come surf on my team. You can come to the beach here and surf, and we're going to get... And you, you rip and blah, blah. That is missing that whole middle chunk is missing there's like uber rich and there's uber poor and there's no more like infrastructure to get those guy that guy that the guy from the favela much of an infrastructure i don't either by the way i don't either but that's Marcio's what i'm telling implying you. that
2: something went away that yes. was there i'm yes. suggesting i don't think those guys ever had that
1: Right, but I'm suggesting Marcio's from Brazil and knows Brazilians and is a smart business guy. Yeah, and you're not from Brazil and you don't know what was there, and so you're arguing something that you don't know. Same with me, by the way. I'm just telling you
2: what Marcio told me. I acknowledge that. What I'm all that we know about the Brazilian storm is that, despite not having any of the structure that all the developed, you know, surf nations have. No, but they did. Those guys. Then what have we been talking about for the last twenty years, saying that they don't? I never said there wasn't like some sort of metal. No, no. Look, they were still they were poor,
1: but there was some infrastructure that allowed them to climb the ranks to get to a place where they could get sponsored and get into the QS and travel around and become CT surfers. Yeah, they're still poor guys, but that infrastructure to climb the ladder, part of it's been taken away because of the economy. So what we're talking
2: about is local contests. That's gone away if that's what we're going to say is yeah i don't either yeah, like i don't, know either. What we're I don't about. either i'm because just telling when, you what i was
1: told i'm just telling you that that their sense is that the brazilian storm might have dried up you know give it a couple of years yeah. I and mean, it might be gone and, be, and it's based on the economy being in the shitter but hasn't it always been no the was economy it, when actually was, was really good for for a while there the economy was good in brazil like i want to say maybe seven years ago mm. the economy was robust and it's really tanked but in, again this is a classic case where david and scott and i'll speak in the third person are sort of under-researched and over-rumored
2: yeah that sounds like a hashtag
1: hashtag under-researched over-rumored
2: i think we just go over-rumored hashtag (laughs) over-rumored
1: um I mean, I, we shall see, let's just throw it out there okay, and we, we shall, shall see. I'm not saying it's, five years. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying it's set in stone. I'm just telling you, I wanted to report it because it perked my ears when I heard it. I was surprised it's like you, yeah, it's I was surprised. I'm like, really? And then Gary shot it down last night at dinner. He's like, I don't believe that. Just like you're saying. He's like, no. And Gary's tied in with Brazil really heavily.
2: Right. And I do definitely agree with the Japanese typhoon for sure. Like that's been lying in wait for a long time. That's been a sleeping giant right you know yeah
1: um so it's like the japanese imperial maybe 1935 pardon
2: the pun <laughs> um you know another detail about the bells event real quick before we move on is when it got big and unruly and actually even just big on the final day i thought to myself this is a venue where surfing from 20 years ago could still win a final like the surfing yeah, from the 90s that's true. and the 2000s absolutely. absolutely could have won a final out there against John John. Well,
1: and, and I would ask you to watch that 1981 footage of Bells of Simon, and yeah. you'll see the turns he's doing, and you're basically on the same turn that I just saw John John. No, well, yep. maybe not John, but the same, just, you're right, the venue, basically, there's only a certain type of surfing that can take place there, yep. and, and it's the same as it was 25, 30 years ago.
2: 10 years ago. Um, slater's rail grab kind of top turn deal again on a longer board um would have been the turn of the event this year it was gnarlier than anything that anybody did yeah you know
1: although john some of john john's hacks into the lip were just mental or you know how they come to that end section and and he would hack into the lip as the left's coming at him and he would free fall they all would have that little free fall moment where the fins would disengage with the wave face
2: and then they would ride it out so Callahan
1: did some insane ones.
2: The point of difference for John, John, I think over everybody else was, um, cause Gabriel would like go, not Gabriel, uh, Felipe, Felipe would go up into the lip and kind of float with it, you yeah,
0: know?
2: ride the cushion down John, John. I feel like he was doing full rail turns, but positioning them right up against the lip so like half of his board is buried underwater yeah it's really a rail carve more than it is like a lip slam yeah but he's positioning it and timing it perfectly right up against that so it is it looks like a snap but when you look at the board you're like that's a full-blown power gouge in the lip yeah super gnarly
1: that's pretty good uh that's a good commentary that's a good way to, to break it down
2: who's ever done that like it's different you know
1: dane reynolds maybe,
2: maybe but not out there
1: no because and, and by the way not? john's
2: writing a 6-2 the He's entire just, time he looks
1: so strong it is it is setting up wonderfully for a continuation of john john and gabe which i wouldn't mind seeing for the next five years frankly
2: they're both have two world titles they're they their um style is so interesting to compare and contrast like i was watching them throughout the event on opposite sides of the draw thinking these are the two informed surfers and i can't really even compare who's better i would i was talking to somebody and i'm like oh john john's got like a step above gabe and he's like how why i'm like "Mm, i don't know because i like him better (laughs) like there's no way to objectively say what he's doing is harder or better than gabe yeah you know they're both really really equal
1: as fans, it's, it's perfect. We've got a, a great situation, and the WSL must be chomping at the bit. They've got champing. these two guys that John John's back, and he's healthy, and it's really champing, chomping, champing, champing, champing at the bit. So I think it's great for us, for yeah. fans, and pretty
0: it's exciting awesome. exciting
2: times because they match oh. up in the air and in big barreling waves equally. Everything. You know, it's a really good matchup.
1: By the way, Courtney Conlogues are freaking insane. Um, i watched that heat and she really she really deserved that win. which heat
2: the final oh so you watched one
1: yeah <laughs> i watched a few more i think i watched malia win her semi against um carolyn marks
2: dude most embarrassing wave of the event was during that heat the one that she just mistimed from the outside to the inside do you remember that no dude i was watching it embarrassed a little bit but like,
1: embarrassed that you're a fan of women surfing
2: No, <laughs> not at all embarrassed for her like oh. dude you got the exact wave you wanted and just i that's what i would do out there that's what i would have like done the if all the feet were
1: just not quite in the right place dude, the whole time every
2: single sink was out of it, oh. zig when she should have zagged it was oh. every she got the opportunity she needed but it's like she was at the bottom of the wave when she needed to be at the top then oh. she was out on the flats when she should have been in the pocket like And then all the way to the inside, she tried to, like, lob it up into the lip and just ate it at the bitter end. And She still won the heat, which I think is also an indictment. But um, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Throwing down indictments. But uh, the Courtney heat, the final, I thought Courtney was on the wrong board at first. Hmm. I even text stamps this. In the middle of the heat, I was like, dude, the board's too big. It's too big, and so it looked... um, Unresponsive, like she could not swing the thing around until she got on a big set wave, and the board clicked, and it did exactly what she wanted to do. And if she had been on a smaller board, she wouldn't have been able to surf that wave. And then she got a ten for it, and it was like, oh, that's why she paddled out on that bigger board, where she was going to hunt down that set wave. And I didn't recognize it when she took off on a medium wave, but she did it. She made it work. Yeah, it was aw- it was awesome to see her get that big of a wave. And just shred it
1: yeah she was surfing good i was pretty stoked yeah it was a good gotta admit it was a good time uh um, well the big
2: boardroom show this weekend bro well real quickly before we get to that yeah. stab magazine mm-hmm. is doing the uh electric acid surfboard test and they're giving it away for free they originally said they were going to air it today they were going to debut it on april 29th but then i saw something else saying it's going to be next week so hopefully it'll be next week but um we enjoyed this last year with Dane Reynolds. This year it's with Stephanie Gilmore. And the boards that they have her riding, I think, are less freaky than they were last year. Like, Dane had such an array last year from asymmetrical kind of rippable shortboards to displacement holes. And Dane, to I would say his own fault, didn't know how to surf a displacement hole. He was trying to rip it, and it just didn't do service to the board. There was too much... Variety in the quiver that they brought with Stephanie. It looks like they got kind of more of the quiver dialed in where they are interesting boards um, And non-conventional short boards, but they all kind of fit the short board mold And it looks like they got some killer footage from the trip I've
1: got a new idea for for beach or stab or whoever. What is it? it's it's the sort of, it flows along the same theme But instead of having one really good surfer and an array of surfboards, you get five really good surfers. Let's say four. You get four really good surfers, whoever they are. And then you get an array of surfboards designs. Like you get, you have four fishes built. You have four high-performance surf shortboards built. You have four longboards built. You have four bonzers built or whatever, right? So you have four totally different boards, right? And you got the four surfers. They show up at some stab party or whatever for the unveiling of which of those four boards those four guys are going to ride. So only one of those designs is going to be... So you reach into a, a hat, you pull out which board it's going to be, and voila, it's the Bonzer. The other boards don't even ever see the, day, the light of day. Those four surfers now have to ride the Bonzer, And the, the idea being that... We know Dane Reynolds is going to rip it on the high-performance shortboard, right? And we know that, like, Dave Rostovich is probably going to kill it on the fish or whatever, you know, and C.J. Nelson's going to kill it on the longboard. So it's really about which board we pull out of the hat. And so we we get the Bonser, and so all four of those surfers ride the Bonzer in different conditions and give us their feedback on the Bonzer.
2: Interesting. Just a thought.
1: Because yeah. you, eventually you're going to want to mix it up.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, what I do like about the electric acid surfboard test is again this revisiting of the long form surf film again that i was talking about earlier in the show we're having these things happen now kind of more frequently that are um events you know these films the cj and damien piece like the neat essentials piece these are events that i actually look forward to and i want to watch whereas the long feature surf film had gone away for a decade or so after kind of VHS now there's good quality films that aren't just serving as marketing pieces, you know, Yeah, that's the key. Some of them are,
1: but they're, I'm okay if they're marketing, but that can't be the overriding yeah. drive of the director. Right. It can't be,
2: let's yeah. do a globe video, bro. No, but I actually want to watch the electric acid surfboard test. And yeah, I, can I do. Too. 50 minutes.
1: To no, it. no, I'm fully into you it. Know? Um, are you going to the boardroom pre-party on Friday night? Delmar Plaza.
2: My invite must have got lost in the mail or something. It's
1: open to the public. It's a free... It's an exhibitor. It's for the exhibitors. Oh, for okay. you guys. Okay. But everyone's welcome. Cool. Live music. Two slideshows. One with Steve Sherman. One with Dan, Don Balch. And one with the Follow the Light Foundation. Sweet. And then two short video edits. One by Dana Brown on his father, Bruce Brown. And one by... Wyatt early who did spoon so a little clip from spoons epic yeah
2: yeah I'll be there then um I'll swing by my must-see happy moment from spyoptic.com use promo code podcast is 21 days series is back from Red Bull remember this a few years ago they were doing it following a couple of uh, surfers around on the tour um I love it they've always done a phenomenal job and this year they're profiling Jadson Andre and Chloe Andino. Oh, And episode one was them leading into the Quicksilver Pro.
0: Very so cool. So it's
2: really, really well done. So I'll post that on SpitPodcast.com.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Let's. Let's. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to seeing Spy Musty see moment.
2: <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? Yep. Thanks for following along, Scott. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center as well for hosting us.
1: Red Bull, love those guys. 21 I love their beverages. <laughs> I don't drink their beverages. The production house kicks ass. The though. production
2: house is good. All right man, spy um spitpodcast.com. We'll see you at the Boardroom Show. Next time I see you, we'll be at boardroom the show. Boardroom Show this
1: weekend, Saturday and Sunday.
2: Yep, can't wait.
1: It's going to be good. Boardroomshow.com for tickets or information. If you want to see the full schedule, by the way, the Boardroom panels, the discussions, we've got an insane lineup of discussions. WSL is going to be there in force pat o'connell devin howard dave prodan talking wsl future a couple of others shaping the industry um wayne lynch of course will be there on the panel for a QA. and um west coast board riders with taylor knox and some others it's going to be good we will see you there this is time to wrap up until next time adios and aloha